Well, I'm in a series entitled uh, My Strength or His. It's about Samson. And Samson had, uh, we all know his weakness. I'm going to talk about that weakness today. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to show up and bless our time together. Father, come, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we're so thankful that we can gather and praise your name. And we're so thankful that we can feel your presence. But God, we're thankful too that your word is written to bless us and to change our lives, to be applied to our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you show us in your word how to be protected, that you want to keep us from consequences of things that would cause us and our families and, and the people around us terrible pain. You are so loving that you want to embrace us and protect us. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would do a great work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The gates to trouble is what I'm calling this sermon. Let's uh, pick up in Judges 16.1. One day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, When the light of morning comes, we will kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only until midnight, and then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. Samson once again is showing his amazing strength. We know that that physical strength comes from the power of God that is inherent in his life. We know from studies archaeologically that that gate weighed thousands of pounds because, you know, they're big enough to swing wide and horses and, and, and wagons would go through there. But they also were covered in metal to keep them from burning when they had battle and, and war that uh, would come about. So it's just an incredible thing. He rips the gate out of its foundation, decides that that's not quite enough. He would like to uh, do a little uh, weight training and uh, cardiovascular together. So he carries these gates miles to the top of the hill and plants them for everybody to wake up and see. What amazing strength, so amazing that it scared these people. When daylight came, these soldiers that were trying to trap him said, yeah, let's forget about this and just go on with our day. They didn't even try to follow. But here's the dichotomy. He was so strong but so weak. He could conquer armies, but his weakness for women was eventually going to bring him to ruin. And here's what I'm hoping we can accomplish today as we look at this word. I'm hopeful that we can learn a lesson from Samson's story so we don't have to pay the consequences in our lives that he paid. So here's some thoughts for you out of this word today. First, wandering eyes are the gateway to trouble. As I looked, and you know, when I, when I built this sermon series, it was about nine months ago. And... Um, I, I plan for the year. That month that I take off, I have a whole year's worth of sermons when I come back with outlines and some thoughts. And I, I can switch around and change some. But it's kind of cool to read it comprehensively and then go back and do an overlay and figure out a series. Because one of the things I noticed about Samson as I did that was he was always getting in trouble and it started with him looking. It started with his eyes. 
Listen to this in Judges 16.1. We just saw it. And I, I like the way it says in the NIV. It's a matter of fact, it's, it's closer to the original Greek as, as I took a look at that. It says that he saw a prostitute. So here he is. He's letting his eyes gaze in places that they shouldn't be. But you go back to Judges 14, some stories that were passed already, but I want to highlight something different in this sermon. Remember, he was in Timnah. And look at verse 1. One of the Philistine women caught his eye. There it is again. Samson's wandering eye. You remember, this is a lady he said he wanted to marry. The problem with that was um, she was a Philistine and a pagan, and the word of God to the Israelites is don't marry outside your race. And that was the way it was in those days. And he disobeyed the law of God and had trouble. But this woman caught his eye. It reminds me of the comedian who sings a song and said, something caught my eye and dragged it 15 feet. Well, his eye was caught in such a way that it was about to damage uh, not only him, but a whole nation. You look through the Bible and you can see this, where people get in trouble with that first look that becomes the gaze, longer than they should, for reasons that they, that they shouldn't. Genesis 39, we see Potiphar's wife. You know, lest we think this is just about men who look and have some trouble and then let their thoughts go. Look what the word says. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. So there's a look from a woman that became a lustful look. And my understanding is more and more women, you know, we used to say uh, men are, you know, attracted uh, initially through sight and the eyes and women, uh, you, you know, it's, it's a warmer relational nurturing thing that... Uh, uh, um, draws their hearts. But nowadays, I'm hearing, and the statistics are showing that more and more women are getting involved in pornography than ever before. And so it's not just the men anymore. As we see uh, Potiphar's wife there, we can see it. And then David and Bathsheba, you remember that story? Late one afternoon, this is 2 Samuel 11, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Well, in our life groups this week, they're going to talk about the anatomy of sin. And, and a question is going to come up and some teaching that you can learn from. But David started looking and then he gave way to the thoughts and you'll see that progression in small groups as you talk about it this week and, and, and you're able to talk through about how to overcome these temptations that, that come our way. But David looked out and, um, and then he, he lusted and then the sin came. So I, I'm just here to tell you that um, every one of us can sin this way. Um, temptation is going to come about for all of us in some way, some way, one, one way or another. Now, some are given to sexual sin more than others. It's a greater temptation. But all of us need to protect ourselves. Better men and women of God have fallen than you in these areas. Trust me. The Bible says be careful when you think uh, you can stand lest you fall. It means don't, don't get so prideful that you think, well, that couldn't happen to me. I'm, uh, I'm covered in every way, and I'm not even tempted that way. And we need to continually be careful in these areas. So I want to talk about a protection plan a little bit here. And by the way, we want to deal with this by overcoming temptation, not by correction of consequences, right? 
uh, you know, I'm for correction after consequences have happened, but I'd much rather have it be prevented. And so that's what this is about. How do we, how do we guard ourselves? And, and you know, Jesus, uh, that greatest single adult, was tempted himself this way. You say, well, that's blasphemy. No, it's not. Because here's what it says in Hebrews 4.15. For our high priest is able to understand our weaknesses. When he lived on the earth, he was tempted in every way. Every way that we are. But he did not sin. So there's there's nothing wrong with being tempted, right? Because we're all going to be tempted. What you have to do is overcome the temptation. Because the enemy will bring it our way. We'll just walk right into it accidentally sometimes in situations that we're surprised where we find these things. But, but since we're all going to be tempted, then we have to figure out the ways to protect ourselves and the ways to help us overcome when we're tempted. So here's some thoughts for you. Uh, first, if, you know, this is a protection plan. Don't put yourself in a bad situation. Set up roadblocks for yourself. I'm going to talk more about this next week, but Samson shouldn't have been in Gaza. What's he doing in Gaza? That's the main Philistine city. That's the enemy's camp. Why is he there? I'm telling you, if you are single and you'd like to be married, the best place to find a husband or wife is not in the bar. It's just not. It's, it's someone who will follow the Lord with their whole heart. And you'll find that kind of person more at a church somewhere or a small group setting than, than in, 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 and there's some settings that just make sin a lot easier, right? Should a man of God be able to walk through Gaza without sinning? Sure. But why in the world would you walk past something that you're tempted by over and over and over again? So, Don't put yourself in bad situations. If there's some area that you're tempted by, block things and be careful. As a matter of fact, take out the insert in your bulletin that looks like this. It's blue and it has four columns there, four white columns. This was from a sermon a few months ago. But here's some real practical help because it it has to do with our homes and it has to do with our phones these days. I mean, who's ever had, what generation has ever had to deal with all this stuff being thrown at them like we are with, uh, with the mediums of communication today? One of the, one of the things I want to point your attention to in, in the first column and the third column is a thing called X3 Watch. And X3 Watch is a great tool. Here's why. Uh, for guys and gals, if this is an area of temptation, you can get an accountability partner too. X3 Watch, you sign up with a partner, and anytime it'll, it, you, and it's available in all formats of computer, any, anytime that you're looking at an inappropriate site or a pornographic site, that information is relayed to your accountability partner. And your accountability partner can see it as it comes uh, to them in an email and say, hey, 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 what's going on here? Now, I think that it's great to have accountability. And I know that uh, this, is, this is a tool I've used myself. I know that this keeps people from having temptation that would normally be there because we need each other. We need to, to, to be accountable to one another and it's a great help and there's many, many other tools there. But I'm, I'd like to think that none of you look at pornography. That's what I'd like to think. But the statistics show otherwise. And um, what I'm, I'm trying to get across today is there are devastating consequences for these things. 
And we, we are not even talking about these things very much. You know, the Bible talks about pastors like me, and it says um, that when they don't share the truth, the people, ca- uh, when the vision isn't shared, the truth of God isn't shared, where there's no revelation, the word says, the people cast off restraint. Well, I want you to restrain yourself from pornographic viewing because it'll destroy true intimacy with your spouse or your spouse to come if you're not married now. And... It, it, the enemy will use it to, to start you on a gradual decline to bring you to a place where you'd be doing things that you never imagined. And I'm not just, I'm not just speaking, speaking uh, you, you know, about something that we, we haven't had to deal with at this church through the years. We've had people that have been waylaid and devastated by this stuff. And so we, we want you to protect yourself. One of the things that you've heard about it's a tool that is spoken to men quite often is bounce your eyes because sometimes you'll find yourself in a, in a situation that you didn't want to be in and you'll see something that might be tempting. And one of the, one of the things that, uh, a tool that's used by men that I think is a great tool is bounce your eyes. Don't look for more than a couple seconds at something that's tempting. If you just walked into a situation and it's difficult uh, not to look, fellas, just being honest here, don't look, don't gaze, right? Samson's problem was he looked for a long time and then he fell victim to, to lust and, and then he acted upon that. That's the progression and the anatomy of sin. But bounce your eyes. Just move them quickly and don't look. And, and, and I, as simple as that sounds, that works. I've told this story before, but I want to tell it again because it's so practical. Uh, when I was a student at George Fox, I... You know, I hadn't lived for the Lord the first couple years in college. As a matter of fact, I was a prodigal, and I'm not proud of that, but it's true. So I have a real heart for prodigals. And uh, I know that God loves us even though we knew and walked away. I know that. And so I like to speak about it just because there might be a prodigal or two every time we gather. That was me. But then I made a commitment to come back to Jesus because I got hurt. You know, sin will hurt you eventually when you live there, right? And... Um, and then I decided to follow the Lord with my whole heart, and I did that for a short season, and I met the most incredible woman in the world shortly after. God is so good. Karen Russell, who's been my wife, it'll be 30 years on, in December that we've been married. And what a, what a joy that that has been, yeah. I think that you ought to give her a hand, because she got the bad end of the deal on that one, I think, as we were... But um, I had married Karen my senior year in college. Actually, it was the middle of our junior year, my junior year. And, um, and I was living for the Lord and, and doing well and excited about my faith. And I remember one day, there's, there's this place called the Canyon. If those of you who've been to George Fox University, you know where the Canyon is. You walk across there. There's dorms in the bottom. There's grass on both sides of the walkway as you go down through that Canyon. And... Um, I remember one time, it was a bright sunny day, it doesn't happen that much, you know, in the spring it happens in college every now and then where you can get out in the sun and it's over 80, it just doesn't happen much. Uh, but this day it did. And these Christian girls, I don't know what they're thinking, maybe they're just thinking they want the sun and that's the only place they can find grass, but this is the honest to goodness truth. Lined on one side, all about a third of the way down in the grass there, were a number of girls in bikinis laying out sunny. Well, I have re committed my life to Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I'm a married man, and I'm walking through there. I'm just telling you, I was tempted to look. And I I wasn't familiar with resisting that temptation from where I I had come from. 
But as I went down through there, I found, I, I mean, because it surprised me. I turned the corner and bam, you know, there, there it was. I got to get to a class across the canyon. The other way around is, you know, a couple miles. And I started to pray. I mean, I, I was just fearful, right? And I just started to pray, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And I kept my eyes straight ahead. And I was feeling this temptation to veer the whole time, you know. But I kept my eyes straight ahead. And I prayed, Lord, help me. And the scripture came to mind. I actually have it on the screen for you. Uh, is a scripture in Hebrews 12. Fixing your, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what I thought of that moment. It's a good reason to memorize scripture, by the way, because those things come to mind. And so I said, Jesus, I'm keeping my eyes on you. And God, you're awesome. You can help me overcome temptation. That's what your word says. And I walked all the way up. And, and I'm being honest, and I hope I'm not disappointing you. But even when I got to the top of the canyon, I felt tempted to look back. And now I'm a long ways away from him. But I didn't. I turned the corner, and just when I got out, everything out of sight, I can't tell you what peace came over me. As I realized something that I'd never really completely understood before, God is able to help me overcome temptation. The enemy can't make me do anything I don't want to do. And if I say I don't want to do it, and I call on the power of the Holy Spirit, God has the power to make me an overcomer. That is life-changing. It really, really is. And it can happen for you too. It's not that I'm special and get extra power. It's just that all of us, if we want it, have to tap into the power. And we have to tap into it over and over and over again. He's great. And he can help us. Bounce those eyes and fix them on Jesus Christ and call for his help. And then the third thought, when you sense trouble, run away fast. Samson shouldn't have hung around. He should have bolted that city when he was feeling that temptation. And Actually, it's translated prostitute, but in the Greek it doesn't say prostitute. It talks about a loose woman. And, and it's assumed that she was a prostitute. And she very well may have been. But one thing's for sure, she was trying to lure him in. The way she dressed, the look she had, and he gave way to that. And if he would have turned and ran right away, he wouldn't have fallen victim. Do you, we know that because we see the story of Joseph. Do you remember that story where um, the, the Potiphar's wife is after him and says, I want to sleep with you because you're a handsome young man and Joseph slipped out of his coat. She literally grabbed his coat and he ran away. Do you remember the story of Dick Foth? It's one of my favorite stories. He traveled a lot on the road. And while he was on the road, one time he, he pulled his car in and pulled up beside him in, in another car was just a gorgeous young lady. And she opened the trunk of her car and said, this bag's so heavy. Can you, can you carry it for me? Could you help me get it to my room, please? And Dick said, well, sure, sure, you know, so he picked up this big bag and helped get it to her room, and she opened her room with her key, and she turned around and stood in the door, and she said, you know what, I've been traveling for a long time, and I'm so lonely, do you think you could come in and just spend some time with me, and we could visit a little bit, and Dick said that he was so alarmed, he didn't know what to do, he just sat the bag down, didn't say a word, and turned and sprinted down the hallway. <laughs> I love that story. Who cares about being nice to her at this moment? You know, you know what I'm saying? Get out of there. Don't put yourself in a situation with the woman that you're tempted with. You might be married. 
I remember that the district superintendent for the Assemblies of God, Bill Gallagher, said to me once as a young preacher, don't you forget it, Stan. Somewhere there's a young lady who could bring you down. You guard yourself. She's pretty enough and she can, she's alluring enough that she, that she could make you fall. You guard yourself. And so if, if there's that voice, that person, that, you know, that emotional connection you're starting to make, go the long way around from now on. Stop it. Don't go there. Turn around. Sprint away. And be careful. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.18. So run away from sexual sin. Oh, there it is. Run. Every other sin people do is outside their bodies, but those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. And, and you know, there are people who say, well, all sin's the same. Well, there's, that's, that's the only place where it says you sin against your body. There's something about sexual sin that has devastating consequences. We know that there can be venereal diseases, right? Diseases that can kill us, like AIDS. But, but we also know that it breaks an emotional connection with, with the person that we love in such a way that God even says, I'll allow you divorce on that basis if that wound's so deep that, that you can't overcome it. I mean, it really wounds people. And so we're sinning in a way that, that, that has a great effect. So run, run, the Bible says, and, and be careful. And then here's a second thought. That was all about the first thought with, with an ABC there. Here's the second thought for you. Gazing leads to entrapment. You ever hear the thought, well, what's wrong with looking? I'm just looking. The, the problem with looking is that gaze, that gaze is a longer look, can lead to you being trapped at some point. Judges 16.2, word soon spread that Samson was there, right? He gazed and he gave way to sin. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. Another version said they, they circled around him and they, they were laying in wait for him. They were going to get him. His sin had put him in a place where, where he, the enemy was trying to, to trap him. They kept quiet during the night saying to themselves, when the light, morning of the light comes, we will kill him. Do you know what the Bible says about the enemy of our souls? The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I promise you when he comes with sexual temptation, and we, we just don't think this way. We're not aware enough of this. The whole idea of getting you to fall is destroying your marriage, destroying your life, and destroying, most importantly, and, most, and the most devastating thing, destroying your intimacy with God. Heaping guilt upon you. And when he gets people to partake, I mean, how, how many times before you're addicted to pornography, how many looks is it? Six? Eight? Ten? I'm not sure I know. I don't know if it's the same for each person, but I know this, that it's a trap. And at some point, people can get addicted. And then they're in a vicious cycle that, that will destroy and wound and hurt. And the enemy howls with glee when he entraps people because his purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy Eventually, you'll find yourself trapped or bound by sin if that gaze continues. And Samson, we see it in his life, he developed a pattern. He would get away with it time and time again. But this story is the last time Samson would get away with it. Next week, we'll talk about Delilah. He doesn't get away with it anymore. He, got, he, got, he gets away with this one. 
And you can get away with sin. I mean, you, you sin and you think, well, it's, you know, it wasn't his best. But here's the deal. Eventually, it will get you. And part of the, the, the trap is to make you think nobody will know. And it'll be okay. That was the last time. This is the last time he gets away with it. I have a friend named Jeff Swaim. He was a youth pastor in Albany. And uh, I was just thinking this week, I was asking the Lord to give me a story to, to, to help people know about this entrapment and how the enemy works. And I asked Jeff one day if he was a hunter, and he said, yeah, I hunt deer. I said, really? He said, yeah. And he said, I get, I get a deer every year. It's usually a three or four point. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you, that's not very common. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, if hunters get deer you know, every five or six years, they get a nice buck if you're lucky, you know. And those, those guys are persistent to do that, and they're, they're pretty good. I said, how in the world, Jeff, do you get a four-point almost every year? He said, well, I've got a grandpa. Now, I can't remember if it's his grandpa or somebody else's grandpa, but he said, I've got a grandpa who um, owns an apple farm. And he said, every year when those apples start to grow, um, he doesn't allow any shooting except for one day. And I'm the only guy he'll let go in there. And so the, the deer come in all year long. They eat the apple. Fruit looks good. Awesome, calm, serene. Partaking of this delicious fruit. And then one day old Jeff Swaim sitting on the back of a pickup. <laughs> propping his gun up. Now that doesn't really sound like sport, does it? <laughs> Hunting. Give the deer a gun. Then we got some sport going on, you know. <clears throat> but he'd just wait till, till, till the day he had in the right moment and the deer would come in thinking everything's been fine until this moment and boom, he would knock him down and everybody would think the great white hunter, Jeff Swain, you know. <laughs> That's the way it is with the enemy. You'll get away with it for a, for a time and another time. You'll come in and say, I like this feeling. I get to forget about the other things. And listen, listen if, if people are entering into sexual sin or pornography, what it means is there's a void in their life and they're trying to fill it. There's an emptiness. There's a loneliness. There's a pain. And believe me, Jesus has compassion about that. Jesus wants to fill the void. But God the Father wants you to know that filling the void with these things will not help. That someday, though everything seems fine, the enemy will get you in his sights and bam, he will knock you down and shame and pain and heartache and death will ensue spiritually. Proverbs 7.21, if that sounds too far-fetched, listen to this, talking about the immoral woman. She seduced him with pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag, that's a deer. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. This is, an out, this is not about condemnation today. If, if, th this is the definition of God. God is love. But love protects Love cares. Love doesn't want to see its children destroyed. So love says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Here's where you'll find rest. That buck had no idea he was walking into a trap.
He was just looking for that delicious, tempting fruit once again. I have to call my friend Jeff and tell him he was the devil in my illustration today. <laughs> He's a good man, actually. Third thought. This is kind of strong, but uh, it's, just, it's just in the Bible. You know, I, I know that not many preachers talk about this today. I, I know. I, I, I understand that. But here's my, here's my problem. It's all through the Bible. It's just all through the Bible. And I, I'm not here, I'm not supposed to stand up here so you like me and present things that you like. I'm supposed to present the truth of the Word of God that will bless you and protect you. I want, your, I want to help, I would love it if I could be one that could help prevent terrible consequences for your life. That's, and so I feel like if I don't share, then I might be responsible for not helping you. Because it's in the Word so much that the, that the, that the Bible tells in, in, in one of the Timothy's book written for pastors, it says this, preach the Word. Not just part of it, all of it. The wholeness of God's counsel. So that's, that's what this is about, and, and this is strong, but change now or pay later. Judges 16.3, Samson stayed in bed until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. So he escapes without penalty, but he's about to repeat in just a short time the same sin again with Delilah, and he finds devastating consequences. We'll talk about that next week. Unless the sin stops, the results will eventually be tragic. Um, I, was, I was really grieved by this whole Penn State thing this week. You know, that whole don't ask, don't tell thing seems fine um, for seasons. And, and then there's, but there's just people getting hurt. Little ones getting hurt over and over again. And... Um, I really feel like preachers in America are largely responsible for some of this stuff happening. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because somehow in America we've moved into this philosophy that says, hey, we're all sinners, we just can't help it. It's going to happen. You're going to be a sinner, so don't worry, just know that God loves you. Listen, these scriptures are telling us to stay away from sin and that God can help us. And when you take a fellow, I read that Sandusky actually took one of his victims to church. Now here's, here's a problem I have with this theological, philosophical shift in, in America. At one point we thought, we're too legalistic, we're always talking about sin, so we swung the pendulum way over here, where, well, we just can't help it. Everybody sins, go ahead, God loves you anyway. Now that might be a little bit extreme, that's the extreme end, but it's not far from that in America these days. And so there are people, I mean, Sandusky himself might even say, I'm a Christian. I'm going to tell you, if you're living a lifestyle like that, you are not a Christian. Professing and possessing are two different things. And Jesus doesn't do that kind of stuff. That's not the expression that comes out of lives that have their hearts and minds filled with Jesus Christ. And so much is happening that is devastating. Because 
preachers aren't preaching the whole counsel of God. Because believers aren't believing what they're reading and taking it to heart. And maybe because believers aren't reading. Well, that was just Stan's rant on, because of the, I'm telling you, it moves me to tears to think about those little guys. How about, how about a little righteousness and holiness? Not in a way that says I'm a big deal, but in a way that says God's a big deal and he can help me. It's not what God intended, the consequences of sin. How much divorce would there be if we followed God's counsel? Did you know that venereal disease would cease within a generation if we followed the truth of God's word? There'd be no AIDS. Be gone in a generation. God doesn't want any of that stuff to happen. But we insist and persist. Samson found out that God would extend his grace. Hey, God's loving. And he'll extend his grace. He'll give you a long season to turn. As a matter of fact, for Samson, it appears that it was 20 long years that consequences had not befallen him. But the anatomy of sin... The hammer was going to come down. God's covering and presence would be lifted. And Samson would, would know the consequences. He'd experienced the thrill of victory over and over again. And unfortunately, <clears throat> though God would allow the consequences of Samson's sin to persist for a season, it was going to catch up to him. It's true that God is full of love and grace and mercy. He extended it here for a long season to this man. It's true that he's forgiving. But if we persist in our sin, we're going to pay a huge price. Misusing the grace of God leads to our destruction. I'm going to say that again. Misusing or abusing the grace of God leads to destruction. Hebrews 10, 26. This might be one you want to look at later. Maybe mark it with that ribbon in your Bible and just check it out later. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. When do we know we're in trouble with sin? When it's willful, continual, and deliberate. That's a lifestyle now. When you move into a lifestyle and decide it's okay for whatever reason, willful, continual, and deliberate, God doesn't like it, and eventually... He'll leave you to the consequences to yourself because you're not listening. If we deliberately keep on sinning, now verse 27, there's only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Just a little question for you. When's the last time you heard someone read that one to you? It sounds too condemning to some people. They don't want to read it, but... You, you, you know what the fear of God is? It's, it's, it's a healthy understanding that there are devastating consequences if we don't follow God's way because he's loving and he'll lead us to the best way. This scripture will put the fear of God in you. 
Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant and sanctif that sanctified him? And So it's talking about believers here now. That sanctified them. And listen to this. And who has insulted the Spirit of grace. What? It is possible to insult the Spirit of grace. Samson insulted the Spirit of grace by willfully, continually, deliberately going against the truth of God's Word. Is God full of grace? You bet He is. Is He loving? Amazingly so. But Samson insulted that Spirit of grace and the next encounter would bring him down to shame and despair. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Another verse says, strive for perfection. When we stop trying, you say, well, how do you overcome? It takes willpower. Some of you have heard this a hundred times from me in the past 18 years. It takes willpower, your will and God's power. God's power will not move to stop you against your will. But if you have a will to follow God and you call upon his power, he can help you be an overcomer. <clears throat> it's Veterans Week and I came across a story and I, I liked it. I want to read it today. It's written by a man named Mark Morning. He's a campus life leader. He said, my friend's father, an army sergeant, tried for 25 years to quit smoking. After multiple failed attempts, he went in for his yearly medical exam with an army doctor. The physician told him <clears throat> that his health was being severely harmed by smoking and, he, and that he should stop. The sergeant confessed he knew he should stop, and in a tone of despair, he related his multiple attempts to stop smoking over many years. The physician looked at him and said, what are these two bars on my lapel? And the sergeant replied, they mean you're a captain. Yes, said the captain, and they also mean I outrank you. And I'm giving you a direct order. Stop smoking. My friend's father went home and never smoked another cigarette. He could not quit on his own even after years of trying, but he could quit when he understood the power of a direct order from a superior officer. He was thoroughly indoctrinated by the United States Army and not willing to violate another order. <laughs> As believers in Christ, Mark says here, our commander-in-chief has given us many commands in the New Testament. When we take them as seriously as the sergeant took his orders to quit smoking, we'll be surprised at how God can transform our lives. Look at what our captain said in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Follow him now and live. James 4, 8. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. 
Samson had not let the gracious deliverances of God cause him to change his way. The grace extended to him was never completely understood. Instead of letting the mercy of God move him to repentance, he let it give him the false idea that he was immune to the consequences of sin. You can't misuse the grace of God in this manner and get away with it. Not for long seasons. Jude 1.4 says they are against God and have changed the grace of God into a reason for sexual sin. There it is in the New Testament. And these are New Testament scriptures I'm reading, by the way. Words of Jesus that <clears throat> people can take in the name of grace, they'll just make an excuse for sexual sin. <clears throat> God's word says that's a misuse. That's an abuse of what he intended with his grace. <clears throat> Romans 8.6, if people... If people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there's death. But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, there's life and peace. See, there's a promise here. There's, it's not a condemning thing. He's not trying to wound your heart and make you think you're really bad and you don't deserve heaven. That is not what this is about. God is about giving you life and peace. Do you know one of the things I've noticed about people who are addicted to pornography <clears throat> is that though you can't see it on the surface, there are other things that just bubble up. And one of the things I've noticed, and I can't prove this in the scriptures, maybe I could if I worked hard. Well, if you look at Samson's life, one of the things you'll find, he had this trouble with women and he had this other thing called anger. He'd get really mad and kill people. Now I know God was with them and there's a dichotomy in that and God was stirring things up but God wanted the full deliverance of Israel and though Samson did some great things that never happened in his 20 years of being a judge and a leader for those people because of the sin in his life. But one of the things I see bubble up with people addicted to pornography is and, and you could see it as a surface thing and it doesn't make any sense is anger. And I think, I, I'm not sure but I think the anger comes up because they're so upset at themselves. They're living at such in such tension, knowing that they're, they're not doing the right thing. Knowing that there could be consequences coming down the line, and anger just will, will show up. And, and, and the way we've noticed that in people's lives as we've helped people through the years here is in retrospect, after dealing with anger, because, you know, you deal with surface issues, and you can't get people well but you deal with root issues and, and they get well. And the root was the pornography and the surface was the anger. So you can deal with the anger all you want unless the pornography stops and people get healed. We couldn't help them overcome. But if you don't know that, you can't, you can't address it in that way. God wants us to have life and peace. The heart of God is to bless us and protect us keep us from the consequences of sin. This is written by a fellow named Brian Chapel. In one of his books, he said, several years ago, my wife Kathy and a friend gathered up their kids and made a trip to the St. Louis Zoo. A new attraction had just opened called Big Cat Country, which took the lions and tigers out of their cages and allowed them to roam in large enclosures. <clears throat> Visitors, he says, observed the cats by walking on an elevated skyway above the habitats. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> As my wife and her friend took the children up one of the skyway ramps, a blanket became entangled in the wheel of the friend's stroller. 
Kathy, my wife, knelt to untangle the wheel while our boys, ages three and five, went on ahead. When she looked up, Kathy discovered that the boys had innocently walked right through a small child-sized gap in the fence and climbed out on the rocks with, where the cats were, 20 or 25 feet above them. Above the lion's pen. They'd been told that they'd be able to look down at the lions and they were doing just that from their hazardous, hazardous vantage point, he says. Pointing to the lions below, they call back to their mom, Hey mom, we can see them! They had no concept of how much danger they were in. But mom saw immediately. What could she do? If she screamed, she might startle the boys perched precariously over the lions. The gap in the fence was too small for her to get through. So she knelt down, spread out her arms and said, Boys, come get a hug. They came running for the love that saved them from the danger greater than they could perceive. So what's this all about today? It's about Jesus saying, hey, 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 over here. Maybe we don't perceive how great the danger and the consequences will be. But he's not coming to condemn He's not coming to tell us what we deserve. He wants to deliver us from what we deserve. He wants to save us from devastating consequences. And he stretches out his arms and he calls to us, come here and let me protect you. Let me hold you. Because God is love. Titus 2.11 says it this way. That is the way we should live. Because God's grace that can save everyone has come. It teaches us not to live against God, nor to do evil things the world wants to do. Instead, that grace teaches us, see how, see how much more powerful grace is than just forgiveness? Grace is an empowering presence that God gives. Look at it here. Grace teaches us to live now in a wise and right way, in a way that shows we serve God. We should live like that while we wait for our great hope and the coming of the glory of our great Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us so he might pay the price to free us from all evil and make us pure people who belong only to him. People who are always wanting to do good deeds.